Welcome, nerdy knights of the well-rounded table to Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms. I'm queen of those queries and defender of those droids, Sarah O'Connor. Welcome, welcome. Hello there. I'm Colleen McMillan, Jedi Master and Rebel Scum Collaborator. And I am Pirate Jedi and Hondo Naka First Mate, Anders Drew. Ooh, you got promoted. <laughs> Who'd you kill? <laughs> and we truly run the gamut here in terms of rank, but no matter the rank that you carry, one thing remains constant. Much to learn, we still have. Dot, dot, dot. Absolutely. So last time on Bohemian Geek Studies, we were continuing our exploration of the character Sabine Wren from Star Wars Rebels. We took a look at Sabine's Wren, her role as an engineer. So today, we are finishing this extremely dorky dive into Sabine with her role as an artist. I know Sarah has been very excited to get yeah. to this topic. So, as always, this episode is going to contain spoilers for Star Wars Rebels, pretty much all four seasons, maybe some other stuff. Um, so, if you haven't yet watched Rebels, go watch it and come back and join us. And if you have, grab a drink from the cantina, sit back and unwind as we engage your mind exploring this magnetic Mandalorian. And with that being said, let's punch it. Yeah, so the last role Sabine takes on in Rebels is that of an artist, so she and I share that in common. Mm -hmm. We are clued into her artistic nature, frankly, the instant we see her on screen, which is so punchy and perfect. Rather than the traditional grays and muted blues on her Mandalorian armor, she has personally painted it in vibrant oranges and purples. So like, cool looking. So attention grabbing. It <laughs> looks amazing. So wicked. This immediately sets her apart from other Mandalorians we've seen. Although we will eventually see the Mandalorians do have their own different art tra traditions. And we may get a chance to talk about that a little bit more when we cover Mandalorian season two. Although he's already got his sigil. So I'm not sure. We'll see. But regardless of that, with the intera uh, interactions between Sabine and her father in particular that we'll talk about today, and also illustrated in the decorations on Maul's cell, which we talked about at length when we covered the Clone Wars season that looks finale. so cool. And Gotta get final season, that is. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember which episode that was, Colleen? I don't off the top of Shattered. my head. See, of course you know. So yeah, go go listen to our episode on Shattered if you haven't gotten a chance to, and watch Clone Wars if you haven't gotten a chance to yet. But uh, Colleen, that's enough about me. Why don't you uh, take it away on her graffiti? Oh, yes. The best, best part of Sabine's art. Uh, her graffiti becomes somewhat famous or infamous, if you're in the Rebellion, uh, with Grand Admiral Thrawn collecting a decent amount of her work sketchy yeah. Thrawn who doesn't usually actually take stuff like yeah mm. but he takes this and he just yeah. straight up lifts it like he lifts walls yeah to get this takes actual walls yeah like, we see this happen in the real world too like I'm I'm a Jewish artist and Jewish art from during the holocaust almost any museum in existence has stolen like stolen goods from pillaging and sackings and worse it's an absolute travesty. And so while we definitely, admittedly, totally have a huge soft spot for our big blue guy, Thrawn, um, at least in wanting to see more of him on screen, 
this kind of shit is absolutely disgusting. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so did a little bit of digging into this a little bit just to get try and get some numbers um, behind it. So after World War II, the Allies recovered more than 700,000 pieces of art that had been stolen by the German Axis powers from over a thousand repositories across just Germany and Austria. Um, it wasn't until 1985 that several European countries started publishing in inventories of the art that they had that they knew was stolen from Jewish citizens during the war so people could try to reclaim that. Um, and in officially 1998, 39 39 countries signed a pledge um, to identify and recover stolen Holocaust art. Mm -hmm. So it's an atrocity that we absolutely live with and it is still ongoing to yeah. try and rectify it. Yeah. I remember uh, to like segue for a second, my grandma returned to her old family's factory and there were people living in the factory and were very hostile and she could have theoretically re reclaimed it but it was just not even worth it. And, and obviously this kind of war crime isn't just limited to the Holocaust. Like let's be unequivocally clear, mm -hmm. part mm -hmm. of just about any invading colonizing forces playbook is to plunder, steal, burn, etc., the art and the culture of the oppressed. Things like the, and correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Benin prawns that the British took from Benin are just one example. Yeah, yeah that, that was one example that was, um, was pretty horrific, actually, yeah. when, I, when I took a little look into that. And not only in, obviously, the real world, but in pop culture, too, this is something that gets reflected in things. Um, there's a basic reference to this in Black Panther, um, Killmonger's introductory scene in that museum. He's talking mm -hmm. to the curator. They're mm -hmm. talking about this ultimately vibranium dagger. She's giving him this backstory on it, and he's telling her, "No, no, no, no. that was stolen and appropriated from Wakanda." Yeah. yeah, and and if you're interested, I found an NPR article that will be linked in the the bottom from 2019. I found addressing this, saying, "Quote." A similar, if less ultimately violent, discussion is happening in museums all around the world over the volume of African art in their collections. Officials in Germany and the Netherlands have announced plans to return art and artifacts taken from Africa during the colonial period, and more museum staff are meeting on the topic across Europe. Moreover, according to the most commonly cited figures from a 2007, and I'm going to botch the abbreviation, so I'll just spell it out, UNESCO forum, 90% to 95% of sub-Saharan cultural artifacts are housed outside of Africa. So like the fact that they are addressing this in Star Wars in this way, like for kids is just mm -hmm. so, it's mm -hmm. so wonderful and necessary yep. as this work is literally being addressed across the world because many of the works from Benin were taken during the colonial period and ended up in museums across Europe and in North America. So this, yeah. this is not indicative of one particular people, though there are particular people who are more often victimized and continue to be just treated pillaged. unfairly like, yeah, pillaged like, like Sabine's art mm. is, 
is doing. So Colleen, why don't you return us back to Sabine specifically? Yes, yes. yes. So her paintings and the ghost, love, love, love them. Her painting yep. of oh, Canaan. So cool. <laughs> her painting, it's like the pinup style of Canaan that's on Hera's A-wing is fantastic. I love it so much. Um, she customizes Ezra and Canaan's helmets also, which is really cool. She repaints the TIE fighter that um, Ezra and Zeb commandeered. That's and a lot of people's fan favorites. Yes, it's I so love cool. that TIE fighter. Just because how it gets used in the all. end. This is fine. Which ones, since we're, since we're talking about her art and you labeled kind of the big ones from Rebels, which ones are your favorite pieces? Colleen, you go first and then Anders, you can go. Um, besides the tie, which is like one of her masterpieces, yeah. I love her painting of when Ezra's bunk falls on top of Zeb. <laughs> That's my favorite. In their room, because Chopper like took out the support stuff. So yes. Falls. I love that painting. She's like, I was inspired. Yep. How about you, Anders? Oh, uh, it's so tough because I mean, the TIE fighter is so iconic and it's just so cool when they're like looking at it, they're like, how are we going to use this for a mission? And then they suddenly were like, well, actually, no one actually looks at things in space. It's all scanners. It'll be fine. Right. Um, but I might actually say I think my favorite piece of her art is actually herself. Mm. Between her armor and her kind of ever-shifting hair color, she just finds yes. a way to express herself um, and evolve that sense over the course of the entire series. Yes, yes. And why don't you, since you're talking about her as the art, why don't you talk about how it allows her to kind of creatively solve problems? Because it does. Mm. It Ooh, absolutely we do does. We want to say that um, her oh, signature yeah. design is the Phoenix symbol. Yes, why don't you talk about that? Starboard. I apologize. I just wanted to drop it in there. I'm sure we'll talk about it later. But like the logo, the initial logo for the rebellion is a starboard that was basically taken from one of Sabine's designs. And that take that absolutely goes through. It's a symbol of the rebellion. It becomes a symbol of the new republic, and it mm -hmm. becomes a symbol in the sequel trilogy for the resistance. Yes. Wow. How girl. did for from my curiosity and for listeners' curiosity, how did that kind of trace or how did they kind of retcon that story, if that makes sense? So I would think in. Colleen, obviously, correct me if I am wrong here. So <laughs> I don't I mean, know if the there's initial, an exact trajectory for it. Okay. I don't know if there's an exact trajectory, but I know that the current canon um, explanation for that is that the the symbol for the rebellion, again, New Republic, then Resistance, is actually a combination of Sabine's um, the Phoenix bird logo and actually a little bit of Saw Gerrera's faction. Yeah. Interesting. Um, it does look like their symbol. It does kind of look like theirs a little bit. Um, and again, as a retcon, they decided to name this, uh, the Rebels crew, part of the Phoenix squadron. Mm -hmm. So that symbol, the way it was already drawn, kind of lent itself to being a Phoenix motif. Gotcha. Which I would I guess is how that. they fit that retcon. And cool. it looks so cool. It's so, so, so cool. I like well, how it just evolves like, yeah. from a graffiti piece into like the more stylized military logo. Absolutely. And it becomes her symbol on her armor, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but getting back, yeah, just into Sabine's general role as an artist and what an artist can actually accomplish 
through their work. So Sabine's role as an artist actually also allows her to think creatively and solve problems. So when Ezra is exploring the world between worlds, Sabine has been captured and she's stalling for time with this Imperial henchman. I don't know if we ever actually got a name or a title for him. I don't think so. He, yeah, there's a name. I would have to look back at my copious notes. He's basically just like one of Palpy's higher ups, kind of an expert yeah. in a lot of different lore. It's mm -hmm. like a hopped up university professor, basically. <laughs> kind of. So he is, you know, trying to engage her in conversation, saying how they can have, you know, a civil conversation about arts. And she is able to spot things in these records that he can't. And he's, you know, asking, oh, how I've been studying this for so long. How can you, who have theoretically just started seeing this now, spot things that I can't? And her response is a cool, simple, I'm smarter than you. And it's just an understatement if there was ever one mm -hmm. in the universe. And he yeah, has that and look on his face like, ugh, I know, but I don't want to admit it. Exactly. I mean, she's wonderfully one of the smartest people on the Ghost Crew as well as in most of Rebels. The only one who's smarter would maybe be Thrawn, at least with respect to direct IQ and yeah. maybe Palpy too, but I'd rather count on Thrawn. I think Palpy's more yeah. one-dimensional. Mm -hmm. But what do, what do you mm -hmm. guys think when it comes in terms of Sabine's artistry, mm -hmm. ability to convey a message, ability to get the job done? I mean, this kind of branches into all three topics, but like... Right, but I think that's actually... She's well-rounded, for sure. Yeah, she's extremely well-rounded. Yep. Um, she's got language skills, because... And art. I mean, Thrawn, we know Thrawn can't create art, thanks Timothy Zahn. Yeah, so she's got one, up, got one up on him there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, then and why don't we... Oh, no, go ahead, Anders. Go ahead. I was just going to say that just general ability to, to utilize different patterns, different things, to see things that other people can't. I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit um, back when we were discussing Ezra just opening and closing the portal, that idea that they are, they, these two kids know how to engage with art to access right. all of space and time. Right. No big deal. It's great. It's absolutely yeah. great. And, and they do it together. They do it together. And it takes that kind of open-mindedness that they both have yeah. in order to be able to do that. Yep. But Sarah, I think you want to, you know, Talk we talked about her with activism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sabine also very much uses her art as a form of activism. That's just, it's not just weaponry. It's not just pretty pictures. It's a very understated aspect of her character and the role of her art is just so important. Every time she's painting the Phoenix logo on a wall, she's sending a message on two fronts where the emphasis is what matters. She says to the empire, you know, we are here, we will win. And to the oppressed on Lothal and other worlds who are see seeking help and guidance and hope, she is saying, we are here. We will win. It's fantastic. It's mm -hmm. so cool. And something that they never really explicitly state in the, in the show, but it's... Right. Especially as I rewatch it, it you, you see it. it more and more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm guessing that other people start doing it also oh for sure like i would absolutely leave, think when they're so. gone from lothal and they're still 
Star Wars stuff everywhere. It's like people have been spreading the good word. It's mm-hmm. like they have friends. They still have friends on Lothal. Um, well, and besides in Star Wars and with Sabine, activism through art is really prevalent in fiction and in real life, of course. Yep. We have a lot of artists yes. that are activists. Um, a couple examples that come to mind are the little girl in V for Vendetta, who is unceremoniously shot by the secret <laughs> police in the end of the movie when she spray paints the V symbol. Mm-hmm. And this is what instigates the crowd rioting because they have shot a child for mm-hmm. making art. So mm, if you can take That's down the such secret a depressing police. sequence. Oh, it's so hard. I try not to think that she actually died there. <laughs> Even yeah. though I know she didn't like please, please no. <laughs> Something a little bit happier. Neville. Maybe kind of. <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit happier. Um, Neville telling Harry and Deathly Hollows how he, Ginny, and Luna had kind of continued the regime of Dumbledore's army by spray painting. Dumbledore's army still recruiting on the castle just to spite Snape and the Caros. I love that part. I love that concept. Yes. I love the idea of them sneaking around. And Hogwarts doesn't care either. It's like, no, the school is all you want. Like, and we already, I think we talked about in our. Uh, Halloween at Hogwarts, Portrait Saint Snitches. So yep. everyone's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, not just in the fictional world, but in the real world throughout history, we still see art being used as activism. Mm-hmm. Actually, right across the street from me right now. So in this time of COVID, um, they have used cement barriers to block off a full side of the street, the parallel spaces. Mm-hmm to allow the restaurants to have kind of expanded outdoor dining. Mm. And rather than just leave those as like plain gray blocks, they are covered in murals and banners just of like messages about hope and coming together and like these bright colors trying to just make, lift everyone's mood a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So things like that and things like um, throughout the United States right now, these very large black life bit, Black Lives Matter banners and murals that are painted on streets that are sanctioned by local governments as a form of protest. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Um, artists can sometimes even choose not to create as a form of protest. Uh, this was one that I actually found extremely interesting. So the artist Christo in 2017 decided to walk away from an installation project he was doing in Colorado that he had been working on for over 20 years and had personally invested $15 million in. The installation would have ultimately been this kind of like temporary silver canopy hanging over a 42-mile stretch of the Colorado River, all on federal property. Wow. Um, And in 2017, early 2017, the custodianship of that land that federal land shifted to the Trump administration, whose official stance on funding the humanities was that it was not quote unquote prudent. Don't I know it. So in addition to his $15 million, obviously anything that the government had invested in this installation was officially a wash because he said as a form of protest, nope, not doing it. No thanks. Yep. Yep. Uh, a couple of other notable activist artists throughout history include Gordon Parks, who was very, a uh, very prolific photographer in the late for- 1940s to 1970s. He was very instrumental 
in developing the, I don't know, blaxploitation? Blaxploitation. Blaxploitation. Yes, yeah, I don't even know this film genre <laughs> and was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> Photography to draw attention to Black poverty in America. So great work. The Gorilla Girls are a group of anonymous artists. I know about these lasses and activists who protest the lack of representation of women in the culture, the culture world. And I've heard about them. Um, I clearly have other homework to do for Black Spallation. They do, uh, Gorilla Girls, that is, they do performance pieces, <laughs> protest rallies and installations. And they are particularly known for sarcastic, humorous billboards and flyers. So Sabine joins a very proud tradition of artists who look to inform and inspire those around her with her art. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm here for it. Here for it. Uh, counter to, I think, several people's intuitions, Sabine's role as an artist complements her role as an engineer. Uh, engineers, developers, and other scientific heavy fields careers benefit greatly from arts ed education like the STEM versus the STEAM kind of situation. Mm -hmm. um, studying art in the humanities actually helps to develop problem-solving skills and deepen critical thinking and reasoning. Uh, for this reason, Anders, you were saying earlier that um, you'd heard of some of the older developers at IBM mention how the majority of their best coders had history, literature, <laughs> and other humanities degrees rather than just straight computer science. Yep. Yeah, that was that was like one of the most interesting experiences I've ever had. I was at a conference and I'm, you know, sitting across the table from these guys who have been, you know, developing and hiring at a company as large as IBM for, you know, 20, 30 years. And they're talking about, and I mentioned, yeah, I was a history major in college. And they're like, oh, yeah, like 60, 70% of the developers I hire end up coming from history, poli, sci, English backgrounds, because you guys can actually think and solve problems mm -hmm. rather than computer science majors who are just more ones and zeros, yep. typically, definitely not across the board. Um, and that was actually a very big confidence booster for me, again, as a, uh, as a former history major who had sort of just fallen into this world of tech. And shouts to this book. It's known as GEB if you're interested in computer science and how art and humanities and music go go together. And and yeah, I love that book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Colleen, you mentioned this just a second ago. Um, in the United States, there's currently, we hope it's getting a little bit stronger, uh, a movement that's been growing to transition from the STEM-focused education, which, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, to STEAM-focused science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, finally just acknowledging this importance of arts education and the value that it actually does have to, to students. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't quite gone full mainstream yet, but emphasis on yet. We hope that it's going to continue to evolve um, and it will catch on. Yep. Well, I think Thanks that kind of wraps up our discussion of Sabine Wren and the arts. Um, now let's get into our master and apprentice before I go and learn about black exploitation more often. Colleen, <laughs> why don't you start us off? All right. Yep. Heading into master and apprentice. Yes. Woo. Our friend of the pod, Jedi Master Matt Harrington asks, I love this question. What is Sabine's masterpiece or is it still yet to come? 
and he said, please feel free to consider art, armor, hair, explosives, <laughs> patterns, and weapon designs. Anders, do you want to go first? You know, we covered yeah. this a little bit, but... Yeah, we touched on this earlier. Her ultimate... Ma I mean, yeah, we kind of said my our favorites, but her actual masterpiece... I might actually have to ultimately settle just on that Phoenix Squadron logo. It's It technically is the most en enduring of all of her pieces. I mean, we see it up until, pretty sure we see it in Rise of Skywalker, but it is like one of the closing shots of Last Jedi, that kid opening the ring mm -hmm. to reveal that symbol and what it means to people just over the course of space and time. Yes. Yeah. Freedom. I oh. I prefer that. I prefer that kind of power over the power of the like the weapon that she created that Oof, like yeah. true. That she had to atone for because that was power with a capital P and danger mm -hmm. dark power. Yes. Um yes. like her scientific masterpiece quote unquote. Yeah, but I definitely preferred the power of of her art and I do the, want to give a couple honorable mentions though. Obviously yeah, again to the tie fighter just because yes. it looks so cool <laughs> to watch it, like walk, to fly into the hangar and all the stormtroopers finally see it and they're just like, what's going on before it blows up? <laughs> um, and then also her, her tendency to have explosions that would result in some kind of an artistic pattern yeah. or colorful things. In another life, I would have stuck to a slightly more science- chemistry focused mm -hmm. path and become like a pyrotechnician of some kind doing like fireworks displays and all that sort yes. of stuff yes i love that i her masterpiece is definitely the phoenix symbol just because the longevity aspect and it's been appropriated so it's got to be good right um otherwise i do i just like her cheeky design like her design style is so iconic mm -hmm. that it really can't be copied very yeah. easily. So I could say like just her style and her mastery of the style is her masterpiece. And I love this conversation she has with her dad about that style where they're like talking influences oh, right. and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know he painted that picture of her mother that hangs over her throne. <laughs> it's like here my wife I have this beautiful painting and she's like it's going right over my throne baby. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Sarah what about you? What's her for ultimately her, her masterpiece oh i i just i defer to my answer before if i i okay. like the sigil and i think from from a hardcore stance you could argue her her weapon so i i have already stated my answer short and sweet all right we're not used to that with us <laughs> <laughs> you have to warn us if you're going to be short i know <laughs> <laughs> Anders, I really like your answer to the next question. So why don't you why don't you prompt us and and start us off? Because I love sure. It. So our friend Leahy wants to know. I mean, Sabine, where is she getting this this hair dye from? Yeah, like she's constantly changing her style. Is it cheap? Does she buy it in bulk? So my personal answer for this. So I think in the Star Wars galaxy far far away, things like hairstyling have become a hundred percent automated. Yeah. Um, this therefore, is so plausible. Therefore, the person that is constantly styling and changing her hair is definitely Chopper on the ghost 
She is sitting there. He's got his little arms sniffing <laughs> and spray painting all over the place. I love it. I love it. And in fact, I could totally plausibly see Disney Plus doing a short on this clip. So I'm just like sending this out into the ether. <laughs> Whoever needs to be listening to this, like make Dave Filoni. Yeah, Dave yes, Filoni, are you listening, sir? Hello. I Chopper's also... got a recording uh, saying like, oh yeah, tell me about it, honey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I'm going to defer to Anders's answer, though. I at first wanted to give shouts to like Grease 2, Beauty School Dropout. So theoretically, mm -hmm. not only did Sabine drop out of the Imperial Academy, but she also dropped out of Beauty School Academy. So but for Chopper, I love the Chopper answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sabine would totally be able to handle this all by mm -hmm. herself. I believe in her. There's some Imperial hairdresser coming to her in a dream. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Colleen, do you, her. do you have any different answer for that one, or do you like it? Um, I love the idea of Chopper. I think mm -hmm. we'll see if we ever get a Sabine Ahsoka show, like who's doing her hair then, because Ahsoka's not going to be doing her hair. Yep. It would be yeah, cool if it was not. like a total recall situation where the um, receptionist at recall was like painting her nails with the touch kind of pen thing. Mm. It'd be kind of cool if she could do something like that. I don't know if it would work with hair, but just like that kind of futuristic makeup application thing would be interesting to see. Yep. I don't know if Star Wars really would get into that quite as much, but that's a lot of hair dye. Her room would just be full of just paint or hair dye, or she might make her own. That's and true. She, she could theoretically. Yeah. She's got her little like spray paint thing. She could just be like doing herself. Yeah, I think she can totally understand the chemistry of how to create the different color formulas. That's mm -hmm. why That's why before you threw Chopper in my face, I was totally convinced that Sabine <laughs> had like handled it all by herself. <laughs> all right. Uh, so our friend Connie, again, um, addressing her questions straight to Sabine. Yep. Would also like to know, after classes with your mom, did you go to the art studio with your dad? Which art museums did you frequent on Mandalore? What were some of your favorite exhibits? Do you so. also do you also want to throw four and five up there too? Because they're structured the same, Anders. And I don't I can't answer these for Connie. I wish I could, but I love <laughs> these questions that she's posing out there to Sabine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure. So Connie also wanted to know. Generally speaking, uh, do people on Mandalore ever ask you, where are you really from? Mm. And are you just sardonically saying, my mom? Which I love. And then a couple hours later, just graffiti those people's transports. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And Connie, also, last question, wanted to know if Sabine has pets growing up. What were their names? Mm. What costumes or outfits did you create? So... Colleen, do you want to tackle any of these? Yes. <laughs> yeah, this kind of enters yes. into fan fiction territory, mm -hmm. as it were. I love her second question, the one, do people in Mandalore ever ask you where you're really from? Because they're pretty blonde, mm. seemingly. They look, they're they a very Nordic, Scandinavian-looking people, for the mm -hmm. most part. I think Fen Rao might have red hair also, but still pale AF. And I think it's because they're from a different planet, so they're going to look different. She's from Cronus, not from Mandalore. So she's still Mandalorian, though. So Do we know yes. where, uh, where's Django? Where's Django Fett from on that front? It's Do we very, know? It's very uh, iffy, if he's really Mandalorian. Okay. I mean, um, 
They claim that he's not, although I have a feeling he probably is, and that he just is kind of a an offshoot because he became a bounty hunter, and they're kind of like not not all about that with the honor, 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 <laughs> honor. Not big on the bounty hunting thing, but okay. he might be from another planet. I would guess that's just part of the Mandalore system. Yeah, and I, I mean that actually that general idea feeds into the. The Mandalorian, the the show, The Mandalorian, this idea of the foundlings and kind of needing to bring people in, yeah, kind of through tradition rather than through blood, yes, which is mm-hmm. an interesting concept. Um, the second part of that question, though, absolutely, if anyone ever actually asked her yeah. that question, she graffitied their transport, yeah, one hundred percent within like mm-hmm. twenty minutes, and like not in a pretty way. <laughs> she's not making it beautiful when she's. I don't know. Sabine's not going to put the effort in if it's not going to look good. Just a basic <laughs> graffiti <laughs> tag. Just a basic, simple graffiti tag. That's all. Yeah. That's Sabine all that's was needed. Here there. Yeah. As her mom's like, mm, mm. but also like, yeah, girl. <laughs> Colleen, why don't Go you take Sloane's question? Mm-hmm. Oh, we didn't cover the pet. I don't think Ursa ran a lot of oh. any pets in her home. <laughs> I think that's pretty see that, and dry. <laughs> but it, I don't. I don't think she did. But I could absolutely see Sabine if she had had pets. They had costumes, yes. which might be one of the only things that I disagree with with Sabine on. I don't think pets need clothes, generally speaking. No. I like how you fanfic something you disagree with. That's hundred percent. <laughs> well, she's the type yes. of person that would do that, and absolutely. But it's no, never for me. <laughs> and art exhibits. I think she would really like more modern art. Yes, like like Picasso-esque kind of stuff, and street art, obviously, and then of course very old classical art. I would think, like ancient, ancient art, because some of her style seems to come from a more ancient kind of art, and she understands the Mortis Trio pretty quickly. I like how you threw in the word like ancient on that one, yeah, because her general style does seem to be much more modern, much more just kind of like blending a lot of things together. Um, but I could see her having an appreciation for like the deep, deep history of some of that ancient art. Like if she had to look at that mall sarcophagus, she oh, would yeah. just be all over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She appreciates the history, not just the style. I think. Yeah. And she doesn't like the pretentious artists. She's not, oh, no. not in it for that, definitely. Which one were we on next? Sloan? Uh, Sloan's I think we're question. looking at Sloan's question. Sloan's yeah. question? Ah, uh, yes, this one is also excellent. Our friend Sloan, um, where did Sabine and Ahsoka go on their road trip? Always the question we want answered. And did she ever catch Bo, Katan, and Fen Rao making out? <laughs> There's a lot of fan art to suggest that Sabine and Ezra did catch Bo and Fen Rao making out quite often. <laughs> and were like really dicks about it. <laughs> I think they probably did. Um, this is after, you know, she and Ezra found a nice little quiet corner for their makeout session. Probably, or before, and then Bo and Fen make fun of them in return, mm-hmm. which Could would be. also be hysterical um sarah what do you think about the road trip what are we i mean i know that it's a classic answer but i'm really just hoping that they go to find ezra and i mean we'll maybe see i don't necessarily buy this fan fiction but we'll see with i think three seasons of mandalore 
maybe they do something with baby Yoda that we have yet to see that somehow that gets looped in. I just don't know, but I am excited to find out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anders. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I think the, again, the obvious answer is they head to the unknown regions, but I think that they probably, I think they probably start back on the planet where they first encountered the, um, the Pergil. Because they do know that that's how Ezra and Thrawn and the Star Destroyers ultimately escaped. So that seems like a somewhat logical place to start that search. Mm -hmm. The I very like gaseous planet, Anders? Gas planet. Yes, the gaseous okay, planet. Cool, because cool. I'm bad with names. <laughs> Just the gas planet. The yeah. Curdle, yes, curdle but not gas planet. Very, very cool. Very cool. Anything further on that one before we move to friend of the pod Keith's question? I would love if they would go to Lyrasan and see Zeb. Oh, that would be great. At the beginning of their journey, check in on Zeb and Callus and see how married life is going for them. That might be, that could be a good, um, an entryway kind of into the unknown regions. Mm -hmm. So that would be a good, a good place to start too. And ask them, have you seen any space whales recently? <laughs> yeah. Anyone? Anything <laughs> that just screams Ezra. Yes. Yeah. Any weird animal activity that you've noticed? Oh man. Yes. Please, Dave Filoni. Make it. Make it happen. Give us the Rebel sequel. <laughs> Anders, do you want to read our last question? Sure. So this comes from friend of the pod, Keith, uh, post Dark Saber. Would Sabine be interested in actually wielding a lightsaber? Since she's had some Jedi training and technically tapped into the Force, would a Kyber crystal actually call to her? And I know we've touched on this kind of briefly throughout a few different episodes, but what do you guys think about this? I think a Kyber crystal would absolutely sing to her. I, I think that one could. I think she has Force powers. She has learned. She has grown. She is stable of mind body and spirit i think absolutely she would be worthy to wield it's just a matter of color obviously not red i'm not sure it would be very interesting to see if she got blue because of how n noble and sure and dress just she is with her course um but i'm not sure maybe purple those are maybe my two top guesses just just kind of brainstorming right now mm -hmm. off the cuff mm -hmm. right now, mm -hmm. Keith. <laughs> oh, I would love if she would get the magenta crystal that Mara Jade has in Legends. Mm -hmm. Would love to have that become canon just for Kyber crystal color. And we know she could build a hilt like yeah. nobody's business. She would oh, absolutely. Need to she use the force to do that. Yep. Um, I don't know. She could be or become force sensitive. There are. Hi, Dunk. You're going to come say hi. <laughs> Say hi, Beanie. Hello, everyone. Hello, Duncan. Yeah, he's he's very feisty tonight. But I think that she definitely could. There were older Jedi. In one of the books I'm just reading, a 21, 22-year-old girl, woman, I should say, learns that she is Force-sensitive by being forced, basically, into it. Like, she has a traumatic experience and then finds out that she's Force-sensitive. I mean, so how often, I'm not, I'm not a book reader. That's why sometimes I'm just quiet on these questions for you guys. 
How often do people who are not force sensitive actually get to wield lightsabers? Not very often. It's not yeah. often. At I all. mean, come on. Well, I think that also necessity. might depend. That also might depend on what we're what we're counting as wielding a lightsaber. Because Han does so, it on Hoth to cut open. Yeah, you can absolutely ignite and swing it. Like that's not a problem. But I think actually. I'm going to say that a kyber crystal is not going to call to Sabine. Okay, why? And I changed my mind. So, and I think it's because I don't think she's ultimately force sensitive enough okay. to hit that kind of level. Now, that doesn't mean that she can't follow her instincts mm -hmm. and wield the blade. We know she does it with the darksaber. She wields Ezra's lightsaber pretty mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. um, after having gone through that type of training. But I think Sabine would be the type of character who would show you that you don't have to be this like special marked by destiny person. See, I would love in, that. In order, to, in order to get this honor. Yeah. Right. That being said, if a crystal did call to her and she did build a, a blade on her own with that kind of bond connection, I'm calling her blade color as orange. Okay. Which, what does orange mean again? I don't know if it means anything. I think it's, at least in my knowledge, and it would I just be 100% would... wrong. It is a completely unique yeah, it's very type unique. thing. It's very it strikes rare. me as very Sabine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of that fiery nature to her. A little bit aggressive, kind of leaning into the red, but also very protective with the, the, yellow, uh, the, yellow, the yellow and the and Jedi red. Guardians. Mm -hmm. So I, I think she would find that balance, and she would absolutely be a unique saber wheeler. Very yes. cool. Very but cool. She's not just naturally adept at it, so it would be more difficult for her, I think, to find a crystal. Mm -hmm. I think it would take a very special crystal to call to her, just because she, her midichlorian count probably is high, but not like Jedi high enough, or yeah, whatever Plagueis likes to talk about. Like, oh, the midichlorian count was fairly high, but not high enough for me. <laughs> I would, I would just love if part of Ahsoka and Sabine's journey included, included all of that. That would be fine with Ahsoka me. Ahsoka being like, love, ah, shit, you can use the Force. <laughs> yeah, that would be fine with me. I would love that. I would love the scene where she, where Sabine and Ahsoka turn up, they see Ezra and Thrawn, who are, you know, like, disheveled, having been, like, <laughs> on their own for how long? And they, Ahsoka ignites the white lightsabers, and Sabine ignites like a color, and Ezra's just kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <Did you> get <laughs> that. Because, <laughs> of course, that's what he would say at first, and then he would be like, oh, yeah, you actually are worthy of it. Duh. Yeah, he'd probably just be like, hmm. Okay, yeah, we're good. Yeah, it works. Yep. But that will officially uh, conclude Master and Apprentice for today. Um, before we actually sign off, though, and we officially wrap up this series on Sabine Wren, we want to take just one more moment to reflect on where we started this series. And that's with the idea of what it means to people to see a character that is as amazing and well-rounded as Sabine that looks like them. Yep. Our friend Connie, who you have definitely heard us talked about throughout Master and Apprentice on all three of these episodes, um, who was also cast by both of you as a live-action Sabine. Mm -hmm. um, 
she wrote us a little message about what Sabine has meant to her. And she graciously allowed us to read it to you now. So Colleen, do you want to start with the beginnings of Connie's thoughts? Mm -hmm. I will and I will not cry. <laughs> will not. <laughs> All right, this is from Connie. I remember the first time I saw an Asian character in Star Wars. It was in The Force Awakens, and in a couple of quick shots, you see an Asian female X-Wing pilot helping Poe take down Starkiller Base. It was pretty fleeting. You could have missed it, probably all of 10 seconds total. But dang, was I so excited to talk about those 10 seconds after the movie. It was a female X-Wing pilot and an Asian woman at that. It speaks a lot about representation when you get excited about a character whose name is not even mentioned on screen, doesn't it? Some barely there 10 seconds, forgettable to many viewers, but so, so significant to me and Asian Star Wars fans across the galaxy. The following years, I was overjoyed to see more Asian characters on screen, especially in Rogue One. We got Baze Malbus and Bodhi Rook, and yes, we got Donnie Yen, one of her faves, one of my faves, as true Imwei. But of course, he's a monk. Still, Rogue One's characters don't exactly live to see the next day, and I yearned for more. It's true. Yep. And so, in comes Rose Tycho, whose sister, by the way, Paige, needs her own backstory too, because how badass was that bombing sequence in Last Jedi? But Rose, Rose, Rose. Disney really doesn't know how to write their person of color characters. Do they? I won't go into the critiques of Rose's character or plot lines, but disappointment was the sentiment, to say the least. And then the backlash and the absolute vitriol levied at Kelly Marie Tran by Toxic Star Wars Bros. And her subsequent 76 seconds in Rise of Skywalker? Sigh. Against this backdrop, imagine my glee when I finally watched Star Wars Rebels this year. Here was my badass Asian warrior woman. No unwieldy dialogue, no throwaway plot, no weird romantic energy, just pure awesomeness with her own storyline and talents and character actualization to boot. Sabine Wren was complex, nuanced, given room to develop and breathe and grow from a lost teenager to a rebel leader a dark saber wielder, an inspirational artist, and a protector of Lothal. Yep, consider me very much satisfied. Filoni, if you're listening, give us the scene, give us the Sabine and Ahsoka adventures now. Please. 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 <laughs> Rebels introduced her family too. Honestly, I wanted to know so much more about the Ren family beyond the stern and strict epitome of Asian mom, her artist dad, and her exasperated brother. I wanted to know if they all took their shoes off in their house. I wanted to know if Ursa never actually said, you know, I love you to Sabine, but instead shows her by overloading her with food and small, barely there smiles of approval. I want to know if people on Mandalore ever asked Sabine and her family, just like was raised in Master and Apprentice. So, where are you really from? And Sabine would roll her eyes and say, my mom, and later go to her and later go to graffiti their houses and their transports. 100%. I wanted to, yeah, 
I want to know if it was Ursa who trained little Sabine as she was growing up. The Wrens open an entire door of Asian representation, and I am so here for it. Amidst the fiasco of Mulan's live adaptation this year, I'd be remiss to not mention my sincere wish that Sabine is properly portrayed and cast in The Mandalorian. Oh boy. If the rumors are true, that she'll make an appearance. I just remember my first excitement when I saw Jess Pava, that rebel pilot, on screen as a 20-something, and I can't imagine how it will be for little Asian girls everywhere. To my knowledge, Sabine Wren stands as the only true developed Asian woman character in Star Wars canon. So she means a lot to me and to Asian fans everywhere. So for Force's sake, I, I love that. Don't mess this up, Disney. And I mean, we can't say it any better than that. So Absolutely not. That's where we're going to leave it today, Thank folks. you, Connie. Thank oh. you, Connie. Thank you, Connie. And thank you so much for being with us and come back to join us for our next detailed dorky dive. If you prefer listening to us in our podcast format, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, help us grow by heading over to YouTube or enjoy us on bohemiangeekstudies.com where you can find all of our different little channels. And remember that you can send us your queries, theories, and more to bohemiangeekstudies at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you so much for joining us. Darksabers up and keep those episodes streaming. Bye, everyone. See you guys. Bye.